I see creativity as being exactly on the cusp between nature and culture. And I think it's really important to see it that way, that it's something, there's something innate, there's a kind of inborn knowledge or intelligence that we find a connection to an order in the world and also an external learned behavior and, and culture, existing culture and branches of knowledge. So we find this uh, connection, an affinity, you know, like I think young people, I guess Chomsky said, you don't have to teach children to speak, you just have to have speaking happening and because there's some kind of internal logic and structure that a child recognizes. And I think that's not just with language, that's with mathematics, that's with music, that's with the arts, that's with spatial cognition, that's with everything. And, but if you, if you, if it's totally uh, situated in learned external culture-based existing culture, it can become stagnant. And you can, um, there's a philosopher who was very dramatic about this, or uh, Jose Ortega y Gasset said something like that some kind of discontinuity must exist, that, that you must feel shipwrecked, that you must feel like all your life support has fallen away. Um, and that the, the moving of the arms for survival is the making of culture, that in order for creativity to exist, we have to be makers of culture that we're not just contributing to a complete pre-existing condition. So that feeling that connection between something that is your nature, that's inside of you, that you were born with, that then connects with culture, that then connects with a, a greater nature that's beyond that, I think is really where you have to dwell. Well, I, I've had many experiences that have fed my research on creativity, starting from being born as the daughter of an architect who also was a painter and a, my mother who was an actor and um, was interested in poetry as well. And so we were always surrounded by that and my father obsessively drew from life and I think we were, the three daughters were drawing from life probably about the same time that we were speaking our first words. And that's uh, a process that I think it really has fed everything in my life is drawing from life. But in, quite honestly, I think the pivotal event came um, when I was a student at the Cooper Union School of Architecture. There was two teachers who taught drawing from life. One was this intellectual painter named Robert Slutsky, and the other was uh, a, a, also a painter, Sue Gussow, who had us dwell exactly in that place that I was talking about. A very, we drew very physically, we, with Sue Gussow, we, uh, almost inhab mentally inhabited the world as if we were touching it like Braille when we drew. Um, but what happened was in the first assignment, we were asked to do self-portraits. And we hung up, all the students hung up their self-portraits on the wall, and Robert Slutsky, this very conceptual painter who also was a leader in the pedagogy of the architecture program, said, okay, students, which portrait do you want to talk about? And most of the students pointed to mine. And I wasn't surprised because I was very skilled. I've been drawing my whole life. I had this kind of calibrated eye, people have told me. Well, Robert Slutsky said, hmm, I'm surprised you chose that one because that person is obviously visually inept and is behind and retarded. And I, I, didn't, I, was, I was shocked. And, but I immediately, because of this other class with Sue Gussow, realized that there was something that I didn't know, and I also could recognize by looking around the room that there was something missing, 
from what I was doing, that it was really just a kind of athletic achievement of a skill. And with Sue Gussow, I began to really think through drawing and ask questions about everything, about the human condition, about the universe, about what was happening. And so it wasn't just a delivery of you know, perfecting a skill, but it was really the beginning of uh, a lifelong inquiry. What do I, you know what I hope to accomplish with my book is exactly what we're doing right now, is, is receiving an email in the mail from an oceanographer who's interested in storms and creativity, and also a musician in the Netherlands, and a, uh, a Shakespearean scholar also in California, and, and, and a neuroscientist uh, in Oregon. Like, this to me is really the reason to do it, to make a bigger storm, to make have storms connect because I'm one of those annoying people who know a little bit about many things and as long as experts like yourself are open-minded enough to have someone like me sort of uh, stumble around using metaphors like storms and dabbling in areas that I know nothing about I can learn a lot from 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 all of you so making connections with people who uh, know more about than about these subjects than I do is really what I hope to accomplish. And so why did you wow, the storm as a metaphor is it was always a seemed obvious to me because it f always felt stormy, <laughs> but it I always meant it as the meteorological storm and it, it has nothing to do with brainstorming which when Alex Fackney Osborne coined that term he meant the military sense of storm, you know, a kind of barrage of ideas thrown at, existing ideas thrown at a problem. And I, I really see it as the opposite, that you, that you, you, a disturbance is created very much like the meteorological storm. And then there's a kind of negative pressure that starts to gather up from its environment and propel itself and it shapes the environment in turn. And so it, it, the cyclical nature, the many scales of storms, the both temporal and spatial, like a creative work can be really not have too many consequences or it could have great consequences um, and sometimes destructive consequences. But they also continue. Uh, storms are contagious just uh, as creativity is contagious and it feeds other acts of creativity just like storms do. I think that's a great answer.